are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Judges chapter 7 verse 1. And after we read this passage, we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. But Judges chapter 7, we'll start there, verse 1. It says, early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, laughing like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands, that all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred, but took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purim, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with, with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned up to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Turn there with me now. Matthew 3. This verse is found in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. But verse 3, it's the beginning of the Beatitudes. And it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Say that with me, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll jump into the word that God has for us tonight. God, I thank you that you are indeed doing a new thing. And Lord, I thank you that every single one of us here, you have written us in to your battle plan strategy for the next great robot. So Lord, we give you this time. Open up our ears, 
our hearts. There's a hunger in the air, an expectancy in the air, an anticipation in the air. And Lord, we believe and we trust that you will outdo them all. So Lord, have your way tonight. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, in my lifetime, I have grew up in church, but I only became a Christian when I was in high school. But uh, ever since then, I I can say I've attended a lot of revivals, praise nights, retreats. I've attended them as a student, uh, as a staff, as a speaker. And and we always know that uh, in the course of that event, praise night, whatever, of, of a revival, there comes a point near the end where there's going to be an altar call or a response time. How many guys know what I mean, right? So it it happens, the speaker gives a a powerful word, a fire word, the the piano is playing really nicely, you're like, oh, that's the key of the Holy Spirit right there. And and the presence of God comes in, and and the message is straight to you, it's about you, and, and the altar call is given, and yet you know you need to respond, you want to respond, but how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but but you didn't respond, you know? I, I've been there too, where like, I, I, this is my straight, uh, this message is straight from heaven for me. I, I know I need to respond. I want to respond, but let me, let me wait a little. Right? I, I want God, but, but not above all. I need God, but not most. And let's think about that for a minute. I mean, I think everyone here tonight, the reason why you came, unless you were forced here, but for most of us, you don't have to be here. No one, no one forced you to come unless you were forced, right? But no one here, uh, no one is here by uh, force, but all of you came because you know you have a need of God. You long for God. You want more of God, but yet there's something within us that kind of makes us hesitate some moments. Now, everyone here, we, we can all say that we know we need air to live. Amen? Right? We need air to, to live, but no one here is consciously aware of that need to be breathing until I just said it now, right? Right? You ever like not think about breathing, but someone mentions it, and then you're so conscious of breathing all of a sudden, because all of a sudden you're aware of your need. Now let's say, you know, God forbid this ever happens to you, right? Some of my examples are kind of traumatic. I apologize in advance. But let's say you were drowning and you can't breathe. As soon as you're pulled up, how many, how many are going to take that, that breath of air as quickly as possible because you're aware of your need? Are you with me? But in a normal basis, we're not even conscious of breathing. We're not thinking about it. It's just something we naturally do. And I think in the same way, a lot of us here or, or most of us here, we know we want God. We need God. But yet we're missing that awareness of how much we need We're missing that awareness of, man, we desperately need God like never before. Like I said, I I wanted God, but not above all. I I know I needed God, but not the most. I think God wants to stir up within us an awareness of need. Because once you realize just how much you need God, everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes secondary. And the reality is, is that we're living in a time and in a region we're truthful, we need God like never before. We need God in our churches. We need God in our families, our schools, the malls, the restaurants, the cafes. Right? We're in Queens, the, the capital of cafes. We need the presence of God in this place. And, I don't want, and I'm not saying this from a judgmental place or a place of superiority, but a place where my heart grieves for this region where I've visited so many different churches, spoke at many churches, and the truth is we desperately need God. There are churches that need God that are dying, and yet they don't even know it. 
Francis Chan, in his new book, uh, talks about meeting pastors in China. He was in China, he was meeting pastors, and the pastors he met, they shared about a time when the, the oppression eased up, persecution was getting lighter, so the underground churches actually ended up going above ground. So they shared about this moment in history, and this is what the pastors were telling Francis Chan, that they longed for the good old days of the underground church. Now I want you to get this about the underground church. The good old days they're talking about is persecution, is suffering, is, is literally being thrown in jail. If you've never read The Heavenly Man, I, I totally recommend it to you. But, but they've realized they wanted to go back to that place because they've noticed that their, their congregation, their members, uh, no longer came with, with passion, with fire, but they came out of convenience. Back in the good old days, they would literally risk everything to share the gospel, to go to even church, but now they're coming to be fed. And they wanted to go back to the good old days. They wanted to see a pursuit in their people that cost them something. I want you to know your pursuit of God will either be casual or costly. It'll either be casual or costly, but a casual pursuit has never changed history. Somewhere along the way, these disciples became consumers. And the nature of a consumer is preference. It's comfort. The moment people choose his comfort above a cross, a movement becomes a monument. And a monument long enough will be filled with dead people, which will soon become a mausoleum. My heart and prayer and desire for our region and the churches that are represented here is that we will be part of a movement that sees a region transformed. That it's not a monument, it's not a mausoleum, but it's a movement birthed by the Holy Spirit. That we're not consumers, we're disciples, and we're choosing the cross above our convenience. And that's what I personally long to see in all of you in this region and in myself is a pursuit that costs us something. It's a pursuit that costs us something. And, and the only way we, we get to that place where we're willing to pay the price is when we are aware of our need of God. Once we become awakened and aware to the reality of how much we need him, then man, we'll pay the price. I mean, look throughout the Gospels. There's blind Bartimaeus, right? Sometimes I can't even think of his name unless I say blind first. You know what I mean? Like, that's just who he is, blind Bartimaeus. And in the story, he cries out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people tell him to shut up, be quiet. And he cries out even more. He's even louder because he's aware of his need. Same with the woman with the issue of blood. She's been suffering for decades, but yet she comes to a realization, man, if I reach out, if I press through the crowd and I touch Jesus, then something can change. And Jesus, as he's walking, he notices and feels the power leave him, right? I mean, that, I want to be that anointed, you know what I mean? Like where I can just walk through a crowd, people like, Pastor Sammy, the man, giving me high vibes. I'm like, yo, the power just left me. You know, like, that's Jesus right there. I mean, look at these stories where they press through convenience. They, they go beyond comfort. They are aware of their need. They cry out to God. And the amazing thing is God stops, hears them, and gives them their breakthrough. It's a pursuit that costed them something. Their awareness of need was actually a gift that led them to an encounter with the one who can meet that need. Because we need an awareness of our need because once you have that, then you're aware of God. How many of you guys were blessed by worship tonight? Amen? Can we give the worship team a hand? Right. 
we can follow them at Ezra and Janet, right? I'm biased. They're my favorite worship leaders. The team is amazing, right? And, and I loved it because one of the songs we sing, it's an old school song. I don't even know the actual title of the song, right? But we all know the old school song I'm talking about, right? right? But that song was actually birthed out of Psalm 24 where it says, you know, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols, do not swear by false gods. That is a generation that will seek the Lord. And, 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 you know, me and the worship team, we never actually plan, you know what I mean? Like, like, anyways, but um, I'm going to erase that from the podcast. Anyways, we always plan and pray and fast, you know. But I, I love it because that song actually is, is what stirred and started the revival in Scotland. In the 40s and 50s, revival broke loose in the area called the Hebrides. And, and it all started because these old two ladies became aware of need. They came to the realization, man, there's no young people in our church our young people are drinking, they're dancing, they're doing this, they're doing that. Man, we, we so need a breakthrough. And because of that awareness of need, they started praying, gathering together and praying. And one of the nights that brought tremendous breakthrough to that group is when one of the, the elders of the church, he, he realized, man, how can we pray for revival? Just like Jay said, maybe he's the elder, right? He's the oldest on our team. Anyways, the elder of the church said, how can we pray for revival in the region when, when, when are our hands clean? Are our hearts pure? And in that moment, they prayed and repented together. And the Bible says they started crying out to God even more. One of the prayers that, that uh, in some of the testimonies I read, it said it literally shook the building. Right? They prayed, God, you are a covenant-honoring God. You said that if those who are thirsty cry out to you, you will fill them. You'll pour out water on dry land. So we're crying out to you. And in and, and, and the testimony, says, God answered. The building shook. They're like, well, that was weird. So they ended up walking out the building. And they saw all these people walking towards the church. An awareness of need awakened them to the awareness of God. And that's how they define revival in that region. Is that revival is the awareness of God. Testimonies go on to say that people anywhere and everywhere became an altar. That they will find people in the middle of the street, like these, this is like in the 40s and 50s in Wisconsin, like people are in the barn, they're like doing barn stuff, you know? And they would just get on their knees and start repenting and praying. Anywhere and everywhere became an altar because an awareness of God fell. And how did that start? People became aware of their need. And because of that, they started praying and seeking God. They started praying and seeking God. They'll walk down the middle of the road. They'll get on their knees and say, I need God. How do I get saved? If there is a God, I want to be made right with him. And it all started because people had an awareness of need. And ultimately, I want to share that. I believe that's what it means then to be poor in spirit. When you're aware of your need is the beginning of you becoming poor in spirit. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think oftentimes the best way for us to truly understand what something means is to look at its opposite. So the opposite of being poor in spirit is to be is an arrogant self-confidence and self-reliance. The opposite of being poor in spirit is an arrogant self-confidence and self-reliance. Therefore, to be poor in spirit, how many of you are thankful it says poor in spirit, not poor in the pockets? You know what I mean? Glory to God, right? We're not about prosperity gospel anyways. Uh, but being poor in spirit is a faithful dependence on God. 
A faithful dependence on God. You desperately need God. You cling to God. And then what happens? He gives you the kingdom. Because the kingdom isn't about performing. It's not about striving. It's not about earning. But it's about resting and yielding. And then receiving. Because the poor in spirit lean and trust in God. We advance his kingdom then by being poor in spirit. Being aware of our need of God. Someone once asked Hudson Taylor, if you don't know who he is, he's like the pioneer missionary to China. And, and this dude was radical. Like he would go, like this is you know, like the 1800s, he would go. and be, He was like one of the first missionaries who really believed in, in contextualization. Did you ever watch like, I don't know if this is racist, right? My Chinese friends, you can tell me later if this is racist, but I'm looking at you, David, right? Where you ever watch like those old Kung Fu movies where they like have the shaved head, but they have like the ponytail, you know what I'm talking about? This white dude would be like, that's how I gotta win these people. So he would walk like that, he would have that haircut. I mean, that's who he was. He was a pioneer missionary in China. And one day someone asked him, how did God use you so powerfully? Like, why did God choose you above anyone else? Like, why were you the pioneer? Why were you the, the, the man, you know, paving the way for missions in China? Like, why were you the God? And he simply said this, God was looking for a man weak enough to use. And then he found me. God was looking for a man weak enough to use. And God found me. How many of you know that's being poor in spirit? Leonard Ravenhill, another revivalist, right? I'm, I'm into like all these weird old dudes now, but this revivalist uh, from a couple decades ago, this is what he says. When the church is prosperous, she, has, she never has revival. It's when the church is poor. Prayer is the language of the poor. The self-satisfied don't need to pray. The self-sufficient don't want to pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. But the man or woman who realizes I need something outside of anything that's human at all, that's the person who bathes his soul in prayer. It's about being poor in spirit, and it starts with understanding our awareness of need. Now, like I said, I, I, there's, I've come to a place in my life, I mean, I, I've lived in this area like my whole life, and, and I just reached a place where enough is enough. We need God desperately, amen? Like, I don't want to just talk about we, how we need God, but I want us to do something, pay a price, come together, pray. It doesn't matter about anything else, but we need God, and enough is enough. Something has to change. Something has to give. Something has to break open. And whatever it takes to see a move of God. Now, gifting isn't enough. I love gifting. I want to be more gifted. Like I said, I want to be like Jesus, you know, in power. It's like, oh, what the, you know what I mean? I just said that like 10 minutes ago. Right, gifting, I, I, I love gifting. I love anointing. But man, we need God to do what only God can do. Man-sized solutions can't solve God-sized problems. And we're faced with God-sized problems. We need God to be the answer, not Christians who are trying to do their best. We just need to cling to God and say, God, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Something has to change. Now the question then is, is the American dream all of what our life has come to be about? Like, is that all of what, what life comes down to? Is making it to heaven our chief aim as believers, or are we committed to see heaven invade earth? But that's what I long to see. Not that, what, man, someday if I behave good enough, if I'm nice enough, if I'm you know, sincere enough, then I could just make it to heaven. I think too many Christians are nice, but not dangerous to the kingdom of heaven. You know that nice isn't a fruit of the Spirit? 
right? Right? Don't start being like rude now, right? But I'm just saying, like, so many Christians settle for nice when the call is love. And what does love look like? How does Jesus define love? He says, there's no greater love than he who lays down his life for his friend. Like, who are the ones that are going to lay down their life for this region, for their church, their family, their friends? I want to see revival in this region, and I believe you do too. That's why you're here. We need to understand we need God. Like, is that all there is or is there more? There has to be more. There has to be more. We have to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the Bible tells us that we serve the God of the impossible. Amen? God of the impossible. I don't want God of the impossible to be the theory I hope my life is built upon. But I want to see that reality every single day of my life. Not as a theory, but as the bedrock of our faith. I mean, why would the Bible tell us nothing is impossible if we settle for so much less? Unless it's meant to be lived out, unless it's meant to be seen with our eyes. Are you with me? That's what I long to see. I believe much of what's written in the Bible isn't written there to be fact of what was, but to be a catalyst to stir us for what can be. Amen. It's not just a history book, an almanac of what God used to do, what he used to be like. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, if Jesus healed the sick then, how many know he can do it now? I want to see that not just as theory or hoping, but really paying a price, contending to really believe, man, that, that's what I want to see because that's what his word says. Many of us, we've lowered our faith to match our circumstances instead of raising our faith to match the scripture. God is wanting us to raise our level of faith so that God isn't just a, a theory or someone we study, but someone we know and someone we share on a daily basis. God is wanting to make himself known. And the greatest reason is the fact that eternity is on the line. Like eternity hangs in the balance. And I believe God is stirring up people, raising up people who are truly poor in spirit. And because eternity is on, on the line, we don't have time to just keep Christians entertained, just go through the motions, but we need to shift and change the atmosphere so that we can shift and change a region. I would revival is coming to this region with or without you. Our heart is that you would be part of the next great awakening, the next great revival that finally ushers Jesus' return. That's what we long to see. That's what we long to be a part of, to see cities won, nations discipled, and the world transformed. I believe as a believer, that's our assignment. Every single one of us has a role to play, a part to play to see revival take place. But I want to come back to this reality. that that's all of our assignments. That's what every single one of us is called to do and be a part of. But it is impossible. It is impossible. But to see cities transform, nations disciple, the world transform, it is impossible. That's why we need God. Bill Johnson says this. He's a pastor in California. And he says, if you're not overwhelmed by your assignment, you haven't seen it clearly. If you're not overwhelmed by your assignment, you haven't seen it clearly. Like, I had to listen to it many times. I had to read it many times. Like, what's he saying? Like, this actually discourages me, you know? Like, so my assignment should overwhelm? Okay, amen, right? 
And the reason he says that is because once you realize the assignment that is on your life is impossible, that's the key to the breakthrough because it makes you understand that you're poor in spirit, that you need God to do it. That's our assignment. It's impossible. It is overwhelming. But that's exactly the point. So we could cling to God and say, God, do what you said you would do. You ever wonder about David, King David? Like, why was he known as a man after God's heart? You ever ask yourself, like, why is King David a man after God's heart? Like, was it his devotion? Partly. Was it his worship, his, his psalm writing skill? Kind of. It wasn't the fact that he was sinless. Like, that's definitely no, right? My, my man was a sinner, right? <laughs> like, what made him a man after God's own heart? I want you to know it's because he was poor in spirit. Now, I get David crying out to God and saying, God, I need you, when he was about to fight a giant. Like, I, I get David writing a psalm saying, God, where are you? I need you so desperately, when he's on the run as a fugitive, wondering if the promise to be king will ever come true. But as the most powerful and wealthiest king of the time saying, God, I need you. That's a, that's a man who's poor in spirit. That's a man after God's own heart. Because that's what you see about David in, in this, you know, glorious, most glorious moment. He says, God, I need you. When he sins and messes up, he says, God, I need you. Through it all, he's a man who understood his poor in spirit. And God said, that's a man I can trust. That's a man I can trust. I mean, I, I'm not preaching on David, but, but how, you know, I don't even know how to say it because it's not in my notes, right? So this is like 10 pages now, you know what I mean? Like, like how amazing is David's dependence and need and relationship with God where God says, you know what? For the rest of eternity, the Son of God can also be called the Son of David. I mean, that's the kind of covenant and relationship that David had where God said, you know what? My son can also be known as your son. Like, like that's the type of dependence and man after God's heart that David was, a man poor in spirit in every season of his life who understood his awareness of need and God came through every single time because God shows up in the impossible in power for those who are poor in spirit. God is looking for people after his own heart. He rarely uses experts because they don't need him. Jesus calls disciples, not experts. You know what you call someone who's been following Jesus three months? A disciple. You know what you call someone who's been following Jesus three decades? A disciple. None of us graduate beyond a disciple because Jesus is the master. Doesn't matter how long or how little you've been following God, but he uses disciples, not experts. Because experts don't need God. They rely on experience. And I'm all for experience. I'm all for professionalism. Right? But I never want to be known as a professional minister. Because I want to be poor in spirit. I mean, how does Jesus describe maturity in the kingdom? Childlikeness. Why is that maturity in the kingdom? Is it because children are so cute? So innocent, aw, you know? No, it's because a child in that time is completely dependent on another. Food, clothes, whatever they needed, everything they needed, they were dependent on someone else to even simply survive. 
And that's why Jesus says that's maturity in the kingdom. You could be self-made, but that's not the kingdom of God. But it's someone who understands their awareness of need. Oftentimes the one who spearheaded the last movement rarely lead in the new movement because they rely on how God used to do it and not what God is doing right now. Oftentimes the people God uses the most are the ones who have no idea what they're doing. They don't know how to do it. All they know is they need God. And God says, that's the man, that's the woman, that's the ministry I'll use because they're so dependent on the Lord. Too often we allow this is how it's supposed to be to interfere with God, of what God is actually doing. And like I said, experience can be the greatest enemy to expectancy. Because we say this is how God has to move. But if I need God, I say, God, do whatever you can do. Do what only you can do. And I believe that's why God called Gideon. And I believe the way God works with Gideon is oftentimes the way he works with us. Now, his whole story starts in Judges chapter 6. We didn't read it tonight for the sake of time. But just to give you context, this is basically the people of God, the Israelites, they've made it into the promised land. And so they're enjoying the promise, but man, they're, they're like kind of messed up. So they keep sinning. So God's like, man, what, how many times do I got to tell you? Because you're sinning, and my protection leaves, not because I'm taking it away, but you're choosing something else. And so people come and attack them, overpower them. They cry out to God. God raises up a leader known as a judge during that time. And this happens over and over, and this is happening again in Judges chapter 6, where this people group known as the Midianites are beating up the Israelites. Now, this is what it says about the Midianites. They were so great. Even their camels were so great, they're like, we're not even going to count them. And think about that for a moment. The God who knows everything. The God who counts the hair on our heads. Like, nah, they're too many. I, I, I'm tired. You know what I mean? Like, like, he even has a book called Numbers. You ever read that book? Right? He has a book called Numbers. It's like, nah, it's too many to count. Like, that's the context. That's who they're getting beaten up by, these Israelites. So they start crying out to God. And God's like, you know what? I'm raising up this man by the name of Gideon. So an angel shows up. And, and, and he's like, well, it's an angel. And the angel's like, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, and, I, and, and my imagination is weird, you know? So, like, when I read that, I think Gideon's like kind of like a dork. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you ever watched, like, uh, Jerry Maguire before. But you know that, like, little kid who's like, oh, he's like, no, that's not true. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's like Gideon, you know? It's like, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, if the Lord is with us, you know, like, it's like, why are we getting beaten up? Where are the miracles? Like, what's going on? So the angel replies, and then he says, Go in the strength you have and save the Israelite out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And he's like, Well, according to my calculation, you know what I mean? I don't know why I do that voice, but it just fits Gideon so well. According to my calculations, like, he's like, I'm the weakest in my, in my family. My clan is the least in all of Israel. Like, how many of you know already God is picking someone who's aware of me? So finally, God takes him through this process. He, he goes after confirmation. He puts the fleece on the ground. You know, it's like, if it's wet, dry, he like does this all this over, blah, 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 blah. Like, y'all know it, look it up. Like, read the Bible, it's good for you. And then, finally, Judges chapter 7, Gideon, he's like, hype. You know, he's like, we're about to do it. They only have 32,000 soldiers, which is still not enough compared to, like, an infinity amount of uh, Midianites. But he's down to do the assignment now. 
You know what I mean? So he's like, all right, it's kind of crazy, but I believe God told me I'm a mighty warrior. He told me to go in the strength that I had. He didn't care I was the weakest. He didn't care I was the least. Uh, but, but let's do this. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and says, your army's too big. Your army's too big. But like I said, it's already not big enough, but God says, it's too big. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell them, if any one of you are afraid, you're free to go home. So you have 32,000 soldiers, and then 22,000, right? That's the majority of them are like, yeah, we scared, bro, we out. Right, so Gideon's like, uh, okay. I just lost two-thirds of my army, but he's like, man, I didn't need those cowards anyways. You know, we, we can still do this. We can still do this. But then God shows up once again and says, your army's still a little too big. It's like, uh, really? Like, I just lost two-thirds. It's like, no, your army's still too big. Uh, if, if you do this, you're going to give yourself the props. You're, you're going to think you did it on your own. So I need you to shrink your army once again. This is how I'm going to shrink them. I'm going to take you to the water, and then you're going to divide them based on how they drink water. So there'll be some, like, like, like really cool, like, studly guys, but, like, on their knees, they, they scoop up the water, you know, because you're, you you're in a battle, you know what I mean? You know? And then there's other ones where I'm not going to do this one, but they, but they get down on all fours. You know, I'm not going to do it, but they get down on all fours and they start drinking the water like a dog. God's like, that's how I want you to divide it. So how many of them drink like dogs and, and, and like, like an actual warrior? It's like only 300 are left. Like that's, it's like, what? What just happened? And I was, as I was reading and preparing for this, they said there are three reasons why you never want to drink like a dog. Right? The obvious reason is you don't want to drink like a dog, but they didn't include that one, okay? So the three reasons is, one, you're an easy target if you're drinking like a dog, right? You're in war. The second is, you probably lack awareness. You know what I mean? Like, you're not aware. And three, I think the third one was the funniest one. It says, you're susceptible to leeches. You know what I mean? It's like, what? Uh, how do they know this, you know? Right, but there's like three reasons why you never want to drink like a dog, but, but that's the people God uses. So Gideon's like, 300, but, but those 300, like for real? And he's in that place of, of, of like just really coming to the reality of his awareness of need once again. I want to ask the worship team to come up. So in that whole process, right, Gideon had originally 32,000 soldiers, an army, and now he's down to 300. That's less than 1%. Like imagine your church had 32,000 members, and then all of a sudden next Sunday you have 300 members, right? Like, like I wish there was 300 people here, right? But, but let's think about it in money, right? Let's say you had $32,000 saved in your bank account. And then all of a sudden, you only have 300. Some of you are like, I'll take that 300, right? Like, in Jesus' name. But let's say you had $32,000, and now you end up with $300, but it's all in pennies. You know what I mean? It's like, you said the worst way to have $300. That's basically the context and situation Gideon is in. Why? Because God is cultivating in him once again an awareness of me. I think there are people in this room who are called to change this region, amen? That there's history makers, world changers in this room, and oftentimes the process we see in Scripture is that God will strip everything in your life 
that makes you think you could do it apart from him. God will whittle down, start refining, start taking away the things that you rely on when God tells you to do something impossible. And start taking it away. God, I, I thought you called me to preach. God, I, I thought you told me to do this and, and that. And, and he starts taking things away. And people who you thought were going to run with you, you know, they, they get called somewhere else. The dreams that you had, man, I, I'm believing for this. And then God's stripping it away because he's taking away everything in your life that you depend on instead of God. And he's taking you to a place to be aware of your need. Because like I said, when you're aware of your need, it's a gift that starts making you aware of God. Which makes you poor in spirit. And poor in spirit are the ones God uses in power, in the impossibility. Why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can't get the kingdom come unless the king brings it. So when you're poor in spirit, you get the whole kingdom because the king has your back. I mean, think, look at everything that's in, in, in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn because what you get? You get comfort. Blessed are the meek, you shall inherit the earth. But if you're poor in spirit, you get it all. And those are the ones God is going to use in this moment. God was bringing Gideon back to what, what it's all about, which is him. Like I said, many are in need. Few are aware of their need. Even fewer are aware of God. And even fewer than that are actually poor in spirit. But God is doing something here. In this very moment, in every single person that's gathered here, where he's stripping everything away to bring us back to that place where he said, God, I can't do this apart from you. And this is my prayer. God, not only can I do this apart from you, but even if I could, I wouldn't. That's not what I want. Isn't that Moses' prayer in Exodus 33? God, you've called me to lead these people into the promised land. God, you told me to do an impossible thing. God, you say that you, you, you found favor in me, that you know me, my name, but you haven't shown the people you'll send. God, you said that you're pleased with us. If you're pleased, then teach us your ways. And above all, send us your presence. Send us your presence because what will distinguish us from anyone else unless you go with us? Moses is simply saying, God, not only am I so in need of you to do this impossible task, but even if it was possible, why would I dare to do it without you? Can all of us stand right now in this moment? Now the truth is, I mean, from the outside, like we doing this here doesn't look like much. Right? Gideon had 300, and like I said, I wish we had 300 like right here, you know what I mean? But we don't even have that. But if we are the ones who recognize just how much we need God, if we are the ones who recognize that, man, we are poor in spirit, that God is going to come. But we can look at our circumstances and, and, and say, God, it can't happen. It's impossible. It won't happen. 
No, there's no way God could, it, it doesn't make sense. We can come up with all the excuses we want based on our circumstances. And this is the thing I love about God. And we see it in the life of Gideon, where God doesn't consult our history in order to create our destiny. Because Gideon says, I'm the least, I'm the weakest. But God doesn't look to his history, but gives him a new identity. Just you are a mighty warrior, which then leads to a birth of a new destiny. That's who our God is. We can come up with all the excuses, all the circumstances of why not us, why not this region, why not Queens, why not Jersey, why not New York City, or we can say, it's impossible. So God's going to do it. He has to do it because we're the ones who are poor in spirit. My prayer tonight for all of us here is to simply say, God, you don't have to look far to find the man or the woman is willing to do the impossible. God, you don't have to look any further than this very sanctuary to find the ones who are poor in spirit. Because we know we need you. We're aware of our need. We're aware of you, God. We choose to be poor in spirit. If that's you, just lift your hands right where you are. Start crying out to God. Let's just lift up our prayers. Let's lift up our voices and say, God, we need you so desperately. God, stir up within us an awareness of our need of you that will lead to an awareness of God, which makes us even more dependent, more passionate, more desperate that we're willing to pay any price, no matter the cost, to seek your face, to call out to you. God, you don't have to look further than the strength to find those who are poor in spirit, God. God, we are aware of our need. Come on, keep lifting up your voice, stirring up your prayers. Lift up your hands, lift up your voice. God, we are sons and daughters in need of you. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.